of you giving a bit of an intro um, on, you know, um, tell us about how you got into the industry and how you got into sort of arts journalism, I guess. I guess sort of give us a bit of a, a summary of your life, I guess. Absolutely. Well, I always kind of woke up with wanting to be a critic. And when I, I, I just... I grew up, I discovered theatre, this is, this is the story, I grew I, I discovered theatre when I was 14. I grew up in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, and came to England when I was 16. But at the age of 14, I was taken on a school uh, trip to see a play, The Deep Blue Sea, Terence Rattigan's play. Um, and something happened in that moment of seeing that play that shook me to the core. And I fell in love with the theatre and fell in love with that play in particular. Now, what I didn't know, and this is kind of extraordinary, at that age, I had no idea uh, how resonant this play was and how it would speak to me. There's something subliminal, I suppose, and that's how theatre works. But how I would know that this might be my life, not the theatre might be my life, but the story in the show, in the play might be my life, which is, it's a play about unrequited love um, and a woman who, an older woman who falls in love with a much younger man. And she's hopelessly in love, um, addicted, love addicted. And, uh, you know, she, her life is, is, she leaves her marriage, her safe marriage to a judge, um, and, uh, and her life is, is changed. It's a tragedy as, as a play. It's really haunting and beautiful as well. Um, but something in that play spoke to me personally, and there's many levels to this. I've been analyzing this for, forever, because first of all, it's a play by um, a writer, Terence Rattigan, who was gay, um, and he was writing the play in code. It was about actually a, a gay friend of his who fell in love with another man and, and, and left his partner for this man, um, and uh, basically and tried to commit suicide as a result. Um, so, I don't know, I, obviously at 14, I mean, I knew I was gay at 14, but I didn't know that, what, that any of this stuff was going to be, not that I've ever tried to commit suicide, I hasten to add, but over a love affair anyway, but I've had lots of unrequited love, as have we all, I'm sure. So that play really, really spoke to me in a powerful, powerful way. Um, and, um, and I remember almost immediately, I mean, from that moment on, I was like my parents, take me to the theatre, take me to the theatre every weekend. Um, and we, they did. Um, and I went to see lots of shows in Johannesburg. Johannesburg had quite a good theatre community. Um, and, uh, and then at 16, we moved to London. Um, my parents emigrated. And that course was, I was in a kiddie in a, in a sweetie shop. I mean, I, re I remember the first um, in March 1979, which is the year that we arrived. I went, the very first show I went to see in the West End, I went to a mat the last matinee of a chorus line at Drury Lane. Um, it was just, it was, it was closing that day. It was the original run of a chorus line. Um, and of course, as you guys know, that chorus line is an absolutely magnificent musical too. Um, and not that I ever wanted to be an actor, but, but my God, the portrait it gives you of a life, of the life of an actor and the, the it's just a wonderful, wonderful musical. Um, so um, that really spoke to me. Um, and then I was just seeing theatre like, you know, five, six times a week in London. Um, and, uh, and this was through my O and A levels in London. And then I went to university. I went to Cambridge where I read law, um, which was a really silly thing to do because law is as far away from where I want to be as, as, as anything. <laughs> uh, but I, it's really funny. We found the, 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 the prospectus, Cambridge's prospectus in my files not so long ago. And I had circled 
uh, law in the prospectus and, and wrote, written in, the bra in brackets, in pencil, good for theatre. Because I thought, I was thinking of a theatre career even then. Um, and actually, Cambridge was, was, the law was not a good choice, but Cambridge was a very good choice because Cambridge is almost like a big drama school. Um, and, you know, so many actors, uh, bleeding actors have come from there. Um, uh, in my year, in my college, so, I was thinking he looks a lot older than me, was Hugh Bonville, who's uh, Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey. Um, he, he read this, he, we were in a tiny college, Corpus Christi, which only admits 80 people a year. Uh, so we, we, you know, I got to know him very well at the time. He was already a, a kid actor then. I mean, he was, he was doing lots of acting at Cambridge. Um, but, you know, my, my generation was Sam Mendes, was um, uh, Hugh Bonville, Tom Hollander, who uh, was last night on in a new TV series. Um, uh, you know, people who've, who've really, uh, uh, Joe Scanlon, John Scanlon, Simon Russell Beale had just left Cambridge, but his legacy lived on. Um, so it was, it was actually a pretty, pretty good, good time. Um, I mean, every generation there is a pretty good time in terms of theatre. And I did an awful lot of student journalism at Cambridge, as well as producing shows. So that's basically how I, I continued it. And then I moved to London in, in after Cambridge and got my first job in London in 1985, uh, 86 rather, at De Winters, who are still one of the leading advertising agencies who look after theatre productions in the West End and on Broadway. They're the guys who designed the Cats logo, the Lamers uh, figure figure. Um, all, all those 80s musicals um, that came from Britain uh, all had designs by De Winters. I was editing their souvenir programmes and, and theatre programmes. Um, so uh, it, was, uh, it was a heady time, but actually what I really wanted to do was write um, and be a journalist. I wanted to be a critic. At that time, this was pre-internet for, for all you youngsters, um, there was no such thing as the internet. There were probably only uh, 10, 12 jobs in, 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 as theatre critics. You had to be a theatre critic for the Daily Mail or the Daily Express or the Times or the Guardian, that was it. Um, uh, but of course, nowadays, what has happened, the, the, the internet sort of arrived late 90s, and that created an explosion of opportunities for writers to, 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 to um, get their voices heard. Um, because suddenly it wasn't, you know, you could self-publish apart from anything else. And indeed, that is now the model for many writers or would-be critics. Um, it's a self-publishing one. Um, but uh, obviously this, the Holy Grail is still getting yourself a job on a, on a national newspaper. Um, uh, I achieved that, um, mixed blessing in many ways. Um, I, I, I became the theatre critic of the Sunday Express, uh, not the most glamorous title on the, on the block um, and also um, not the best paper as it turns out. Um, I, I don't need to detain you with some of the details that I did it for 11 years. Um, but um, I was eventually uh, let go, shall we say, um, in uh, about seven years ago when, and this is a rather extraordinary story, and I, I, I'm going to tell it to you only because I just want to remove the stigma and shame that, that these people try to, to levy against you. Um, an ex-partner of mine um, had, uh, was very aggrieved that we'd split up, um, and this was three years after we'd split up, so uh, 2000 and... Uh, 13 is when he did this um, and we uh, four years after he split up and we split up in 2009 he he let the paper know he pretended to be a, an aggrieved reader who had stumbled upon some uh, naked pictures of me online um, and um, wrote this, this letter saying how shocked he was and it's a family newspaper and he's not going to buy it anymore well it was a complete like pile of poo because the pictures were not accessible you wouldn't be able to find them easily um, it, was, it was actually in, 
in some ways a revenge porn case. Um, and, um, but he'd found these pictures um, and told them they existed. The paper fired me because they thought this could bring the newspaper into disrepute. Um, actually, what was really interesting was that far from uh, bringing the, what brought them into disrepute was them firing me, not the, the fact that, that I had pictures that were 15 years old online that, 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 that uh, were compromising. Um, but what was an amazing part of that story, it was my favorite, the, the, was, was just the fact that the day they fired me, I was very bold, I didn't realize I was that bold. The day they fired me, I went um, public with, this, with, with that, I announced it on Twitter, and I told the world why they had fired me. Um, there's, a, there's a rather wonderful journalist called John Ronson who writes for The Guardian, and he wrote a book about internet shaming. And in this book, um, he says that if, you, if, if something happens to you on the internet, if you just get you know, found out for something shaming, the way you do, what you should do is get ahead of the story, own the narrative. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I was truthful. I never lied at, one, at any point. I told the world what had happened. And instead of getting um, run out of town, which is what they hoped would happen to me, I got more support than I've ever had in my life. And in some ways, you know, because nowadays everybody's got naked pictures online, pretty much. Um, uh, and it's an object, it you know, some, at one point I was doing an interview on LBC and somebody said, uh, the interviewer said, do you regret those pictures being there? Uh, and, and I said, well, yes and no, because at the time I did them, I didn't do them for, for um, to be published. It, it was revenge porn that they got published, but, but I said, nowadays, you know, in 10 years time, everyone's gonna be surprised that this was even a case because everybody's got this stuff out there. Um, and um, so I was ahead of the time. You were the uh, original I, I, Kim Kardashian, Mark. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Turn that into, into, into an income stream. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. And I mean, and this is where you are today. And, and that's, and you know, everyone's journey is different. And you, you go across obstacles and highs and lows. And that's where we are today. And you're at the top of your game in terms of being a theatre critic. So, you know, in some ways, it's, it's happened. Everything happens for a reason, is, is what I say. Right now, just, just I know, not, not to be boastful about it or anything, but I am the, the chairman of the Critics' Circle. The Critics' Circle is a, so, you know, I mean, I mean that for a two-year term, we, we pass it around the sections. But the Critics' Circle is an organization that was founded in 1913 to represent the, uh, critics across all genres. It started with the theatre section in 1913. I hasten to add I wasn't there at the time. Um, but um, it... Uh, it now represents film and music and art, visual art and um, uh, an opera and, you know, we want to say there's representatives of every criticism um, going there. Um, and, uh, it, and, and I am the chairman of that, 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 that august body. Um, so, you know, it, it has done me no harm to have had that Sunday Express uh, thing happen. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I, it did change my life at the time, it really did. Um, and, but it changed my life in, in many ways, in many ways that were positive as well as negative. Um, one of the positive side effects, and this is something, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very free, I free, freely talk about, is that um, a friend of mine who's an actor at the National, he's actually worked at the National Theatre a lot, um, he actually asked me the million dollar question when, the, when this whole thing happened. And he asked me, why did those pictures actually exist? Um, and, it led us down a path in which he, he led me to a 12-step fellowship um, in which um, I discovered a lot about myself. 12-step um, fellowships, as you know, uh, work for, for people who uh, 
drink too much, who eat too much, who, who um, have sex too much, or whatever, whatever it might be. It's, you know, upset things, things, things that 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 that, that you do uh, to 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 uh, an addictive um, level. Um, and for me, that was a, a search for validation through sex. Um, so there's a fellowship called uh, SLA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, and, uh, and I joined that with, with, through this actor. Um, and it, it transformed my life. It actually told me everything about what every relationship I'd ever been in had been through that prism. I was, you know, I was trying to be rescued. I wanted my, somebody to sort to, to validate me. Um, now, I know as actors, that's actually a common theme for the facts. Actors want validation through their work as well. We all want validation as human beings, don't we? Um, and uh, so discovering the root of, of my addiction was actually really, really powerful. Um, and it's why I will freely talk about it now. Um, I, a lot of, a lot of uh, people don't want to talk about their addictions. But I, whenever I do, I find that it's very freeing. Um, and, um, and people will... As a result of it, I may reach somebody who's in a similar position and may seek some help themselves. So it's all about actually passing the message on. Um, since then, in the last year and a half, I've joined a second fellowship. Um, I've actually gone to the graduate level of fellowships, as it were. Um, the, there's another one called ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Um, and this one actually examines the or looks at the root causes of your addiction, which is usually, and it always is, every, everybody's got problems are based in family of origin stuff. Um, and this, this looks at your family of origin and, and uh, how, how, as uh, Philip Larkin said, your, your mum and dad, they fuck you up. And they sure do. Um, now, also, the other thing I would say in reference to all of these things, uh, SLA and ACA, is that theatre for me is a way to understand myself. And... And these, these fellowships have also helped me understand myself. So, um, I, 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 actually, by the way, I, I, something I, I always admit to, I call myself a theatre addict as well. There isn't a 12-step fellowship for us, um, but uh, I go to the theatre truly, I mean, I'm not lying here, but in a normal world, between five and 12 times a week. Um, I'm at the theatre every night of the week, Monday to, Monday to Sunday, pretty much. And then I can do sometimes four or five matinees as well. This, this is not normal behaviour. Um, I, I admit to you freely that, that there is something wrong with this. It's not that it's an unhealthy addiction, um, because obviously if, if I was paying for it, it might be, because I would be bankrupt. But, um, but, the, but the good news is, is that as a, as a theatre critic, I found a, a way to get my addiction fed by, uh, for free. Um, it's a bit like a, 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 you know, maybe a drug addict working um, in, in a cane factory. Um, I, I, I am a bit, I'm a bit lucky, like, a bit lucky like that. And also, by the way, you know, in the scheme of things, it's not going to the theatre 12 times a week is not as seriously damaging as going to the pub 12, uh, every night of the week, yeah. getting yourself pissed every night. I, you know, in the scheme of things, I, I, but I have to say, what's been really a beneficial thing about uh, lockdown is, on the one hand, I felt truly in grief. I mean, absolutely in grief that, at the loss of the theatre. Um, and Judy Dench at one point said she was, she was worried that theatre may not come back in her lifetime. Um, and I, I thought to myself, well, it's, it's well possible. 
you know, especially given her, you know, Judy's advanced age, that that's true of her, but it might be true of me too. And I also thought at the time, obviously we've seen theatre coming back and that was, that was an extreme um, reaction of hers. But actually I've had, from the age of 16 till now, I've had 40 years of fantastic theatre going. So if, if it was over, um, it's not the end of the world. I've got to find something else to do. But I don't think it is over. I think we, we, we are going to evolve and things are going to change. Um, um, it's, it's, it's now the things that people have been shown to be at their most creative. Um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not viable to do what the Open Air Theatre Regions Park did um, this summer, which is to put it on a show um, and double cast it and um, run it to audiences of 390 people and they've got 1,100 seats. That's not a really viable way to, 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 to uh, run a theatre business. And it's certainly not profitable in the long run. It's, so theatre can't come back like that. It has to come back at full capacity. Because um, even at full capacity, theatres don't make it. And they, 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 they often don't run at a profit. So it's a very uh, difficult economy. Um, and I think theatre is, is you know, it's, we're going to have this long struggle back. And apart from the else, as we know, town is deserted at the moment. There's nobody in town, there's no tourists. The office workers haven't come back. So when we do come back, when theatre does come back, where will the audiences be? Where will they come from? Maybe the, the reduced capacity that we're having at the moment actually works because that is the audience we've got. The audience is actually 390 people uh, instead of 1,000 people. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, it's a bit of a bleak view, but, but I, yeah. I do think... I think theatre is, is going to come back. I think, obviously, it may not be for a couple of years. I think we have to wait for a vaccine um, or, or viable treatments. Um, so that, I think that's, that's what's going to have to happen. Yeah, and I think, as you said there, like, obviously theatre and, you know, film and everything, the arts is in a bit of a, a, bit of a weird place, to say, at the moment. And obviously there's a lot of artists who are, you know, out of work and, uh, and struggling at this time in, in this pandemic. What would your advice be to to sort of artists and creatives in this time um, to sort of, I know you're, you're obviously a huge advocate as well. You spoke quite openly about your mental health on Twitter and other forums as well. Uh, mental health is also a massive thing in, in lockdown. What would your advice yeah. be to, to those people who, who are potentially suffering with mental health? In, in, yeah, in well, office? one of the things that I have done, um, I've used this time a lot. I mean, for, at first of all, the first few months of lockdown, I was using it purely for, uh, I decided that my job was recovery. Um, uh, and I was going to meetings, uh, 12 step meetings, whether of one fellowship or the other, at least one a day on each, sometimes two. I'd go for a, a SLA meeting and an ACA meeting. I became very actively involved in the fellowships. I run a, a, a secretary of a SLA meeting. I'm the secretary of now five ACA meetings. Um, so I, I give a lot back. That's the, that's, so that became my project to begin with. One of, um, with ACA, one of the characteristics of, of an adult child is uh, an overburdened sense of responsibility, taking responsibility for other people instead of looking after yourself. And, the, and I manifested this truly by actually becoming, you know, this man who just looked after ACAs all the time. Um, so I was very aware that I needed to look after myself. Um, and uh, I'm working the steps both in both programs. I've... Um, I have a, in ACA, we call them fellow travelers rather than sponsors. Uh, I have a fellow traveler and uh, I'm working on my recovery uh, a lot. And that's, that's been an amazing thing to do. Because like, although I was doing it when I was, when I was, when theater was happening, having the, the space and the time to devote yourself to recovery, because it's quite a lot of intense work. It's very hard work. So that's one thing I've done. 
Um, the other thing I've done um, for myself, and this is um, why uh, something I'm, you, you, some of you may know if you follow me on Twitter, is that um, I actually finally sorted out some uh, ser very serious spinal surgery. Uh, I actually, um, today is the, uh, I came out of hospital, in fact, on Saturday. Um, um, and I had three operations in the space of 15 days. Um, I've suffered long-standing spinal issues. Um, and uh, I think I, I spoke to you before we came on air, as it were, and said yeah. that um, I, I, I'm not going to blame the theatre entirely, but I don't think sitting in bad theatre seats seven, eight, nine times a week has helped my spine. Um, so I, it's partly that, it's, part, it's also partly, of course, genetics. Um, my brother, who's an extreme marathon runner, has run six, three marathons in six weeks. Um, and he's lean as anything. He is going to see this, my surgeon um, in a couple of weeks' time to get his spine sorted out. So, you know, we, we were just, it's our genetic inheritance, um, unfortunately. Um, but again, I just use, using this time because, I, I, you know, I started this, the this, this surgery started three weeks ago today. Um, and, and obviously I'm a long way from recovery right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still on a walking stick um, and um, it's going to take a little while. Um, so again, I use that, I use using the time to get better. So I think um, it's important, it's really important for us to look after our mental and physical health. Yeah. And, and I'm doing both. So yeah. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm, no, I'm, definitely. And well done to you, Mark, for doing it. It's great. And, and I think, yeah, there's, I think as much as this is a really sad time for people, it's actually also a really good time to, because I think we do throw ourselves into the arts a bit too much sometimes. And I, I think our social life and our personal life suffers a lot, especially as a, as an actor or a writer or as a, because you, you just, you're afraid to step away from the industry. I think sometimes I, I get scared to go on holiday because I, I'm scared that I'm going to miss out or miss an audition or whatever. And it, and it, and it yeah. terrifies me. And I don't know what, and that's, a, I think that's a really, I think that's a really toxic hold that the industry can have on, on people and, and people's mental health as well, which I think also needs to be discussed. And just rolling on from that in terms of, there's always been a little bit of a stigma in the industry about mental health, perhaps. And why do you think that there is a stigma on mental health in the industry? I know it's got a lot better, but there, there's always going to be a stigma there, isn't there? Well, because because people are scared of it. People yeah. are actually scared of mental health because, because they recognise something. We all of us, as human beings, we all face the abyss. That's the, the big thing in all of our lives, I'm pretty sure, is that what's what's the purpose? What are we here for? Why the fuck are we, are we on this yeah. planet? And, and actually, I think that there's a disproportionate number of people who suffer mental health issues in the theatre and the arts uh, only because we're acutely sensitive to this stuff. And we therefore are attracted to theatre or the arts in order to help us understand ourselves. Mm. Um, and the arts is a unique prism for helping us. A play like, as I said, The Deep Blue Sea, that helps me understand myself then and now. Um, plays... The theatre just knocks me for six some nights. I mean, obviously, many nights it doesn't work at all. And, and unfortunately, that's the job of a critic to go and see it all. You have to go and see the rubbish as well as the good stuff. Um, but, uh, but the theatre does, it knocks me. It, 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 it so often, I'll see a show. I mean, let's, let's talk about, I mean, again, I see everything, looking at things through my own prism, the shows that have had a remarkable impact on me over the last few years. Um, there was a Broadway musical called Next to Normal which is about a woman who suffers bipolar depression. Not a cheerful subject for a musical at all. Um, and she's visited by the, the ghost of her dead son, who died in, uh, when she was really, really young. Um, and uh, 
it's an extraordinary musical. Um, I ended up seeing it on Broadway 10 times. Um, and uh, 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 I was just, ah, oh, it's, it's an extraordinary musical. It's never come to London. I don't understand why. Um, it, 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 it just speaks to me and my own struggle. It's a very different struggle that she's got than, than the one I suffer from. But, but it was amazing watching it in an audience. Every, Broadway is for audiences that are notoriously fickle and, and not attentive and restless and annoying. I'm, I was never once annoyed in an audience next to normal. Every single time I saw it, you could hear a pin drop and people, you could hear people sobbing. Mm. The recognition in that audience um, was enormous. Another musical that I'm really, really obsessed by was Groundhog Day that the, that the old Vicar then took to Broadway. Um, again, I think that's a musical about, uh, a, a film about, but also a musical about mental illness. Um, because when you're in a depression, every day does feel like Groundhog Day. Mm. You, you think you're gonna you're in this loop where you just can't get off of it. Um, and the, the, the story of Groundhog Day, the musical, is that he finally breaks free of the cycle um, of depression of, of, that he's on. This, getting, waking up and the day is the same again, he's going to the same rituals every day. He breaks it finally by discovering altruism, being kind to other people and looking out for other people and learning to play an instrument. Uh, so the arts and altruism are the things that fix him. Um, and at the end of the show, by the by when he's discovered that, he wakes up and it's a new day, finally. Um, now, of course, the project in, in when you're in a depression is you, you're longing for that new day to arrive. Um, and you know what? It does arrive eventually. I, every other depression I've had has passed in the end. I can know exactly the day it arrives. I'll know the day it leaves. Um, I would say, by the way, I, I'm in a, currently in a depression. I went into, I know the day it arrives. It arrived on May the 30th last year. I was in, I'd arrived in Paris um, a year ago. So not this, not this May just gone, the year before. Um, I arrived in Paris and uh, to see a show, of course. And within five minutes of arriving at the Gare du Nord, I'd been relieved of my mobile phone. Um, now this happens, but, you know, the Gare du Nord was a dangerous place. I wasn't, it wasn't violently done. It was, I was just, I was just tricked out of my mobile phone and I plunged into a depression. Now, I don't believe that the depression, the depression was there waiting to happen, but it's a year and a bit now on uh, and I'm still there, but I can feel the grass, the green shoots of recovery. I can feel that something is shifting in the ground, but mm. it's going to go soon. Um, I, I can feel it coming on. I can feel it going and I can feel yeah. this one. Um, but again, as I say, it's, 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 Groundhog Day as a musical told me what that feeling is like. Yeah. I don't know any other art form that does that, that explains your, puts your own experiences on stage and you can identify that fully with. Yeah, definitely. It's extraordinary. And then just sort of sticking on one last question, just in terms of the pandemic as well. I mean, obviously, you know, theatre and stuff and, you know, that's, that's your livelihood in, in, you know, most parts. And, how has it been for you sort of like being, you know, doing blogs and uh, creating, you know, I suppose, I suppose finding content to write about during this pandemic, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, it's a real challenge. I mean, one of the things that has happened for me um, is, well, first of all, the, the really rotten thing that's happened to me is that just before um, the soul struck, uh, as it was striking, um, the main outlet I was working for at the time, um, London Theatre Doc, UK, which I've been doing for the last 10 years or so. I've always done multiple outlets, but I, that, they, it became my major outlet. Um, it was acquired by a new owner in America. 
um, to Datix. Um, and they, um, and obviously with the pandemic, if they weren't, their major income stream completely dry, dried up. Their income stream is selling theater tickets. Mm. Um, so they suspended all editorial content. Um, and uh, so I have no, no work with them at all. Um, and it looks like they have returned now, and it's now being run from New York, not from London. Um, and it looks like they've returned. They haven't actually told me this. So this, is, this shows you the contempt of the, of the, the way the world works. Um, it looks like they're not using me anymore. But I haven't been told this officially. Um, they're actually using, I've seen them using other people. Now that's their right and they're, 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 they can do that, obviously. Um, but it's slightly hurtful after uh, you know, a decade of service to this organization. It may have changed, but, but you know, uh, I, mean, I lost the Sunday Express because of the, because of a, the porn thing. Um, I lost, um, I've lost London theater because of a change of ownership. Now, if the change of ownership hadn't happened and if the pandemic hadn't happened, um, the pandemic, I think, is what triggered the change because, you know, they had a good reason for suspending everything and now they're coming back and they want to come back different. Yeah. So now I'm actually, funny enough, I am sort of now in the position of needing an outlet. Um, I have, of course, had my own um, website and I have a huge following on Twitter. Um, I now need to find a way of monetizing this possibly in the future. Um, I still obviously want to be out there. I want to have, have a voice, but I, but I also want to change my life. Um, I have discovered that it's, there's more important things than theatre. Um, I need to be able to, I still want to go to the theatre, but I don't want to be obsessed by it in, to the same degree. So in some ways, this has been a gift, this period. It's yeah. changing my life. I also, by the way, I also teach at Arts Ed. Um, I've been doing that for the last eight or nine years. So they're first year drama, uh, musical theatre students, some of which I hope may be here today. Um, oh yes, there's one waving at me. So I'll see you tomorrow. Um, hi, uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you know more. You know more about me now than you than you knew before. Um, <laughs> uh, it. I love. I love teaching in Arts Ed. First of all, it's what the, the sort of the premier drama school for for musical theatre. Uh, talent in the country, um, in the world possibly, um, and uh, I'm in, immensely proud of the students that I've taught over the years, um, and uh, so it's a fantastic thing. And I, I used to do obviously I've always done it in person um, for the last eight or nine years and gotten to know these the, the, the guys really well. Um, this year, for the first time, we're doing it on Zoom, um, and that's going to be an interestingly new interesting new challenge. Um, but actually, in some ways, it's a creative challenge that, that I'm, I'm trying to rise to because one of the things we usually, usually do, it's a musical theatre um, history and appreciation course. Um, and what I do is we play CDs from um, shows uh, across the eras um, and I put them in context of, you know, different, different um, composers, different uh, uh, creative teams. So they introduce them to great talents. They'll all find... By tomorrow evening, you'll know that Audrey McDonald is the greatest uh, artist alive today, um, uh, for, uh, Brandon. Um, so uh, this is, you know, I have, I remember once uh, seeing Audrey at, a, for, at an opening on Broadway. Um, she was singing the row in front of me. Actually, it was Evita. She was singing right in front of me at Evita. Um, and, uh, and I tapped her on the shoulder and said, Audrey, you don't know me, but I play your CDs to my students at Outset every single week. Um, and she said, because I do, you truly get her every week. She's in every class. Um, uh, she said, I'm sorry. Um, it's, uh, she was apologetic that, that you guys have to suffer that. Um, but um, in, in, a, in a way, part of that, I mean, I think perhaps you can get a sense of this, is that part of what fuels me is passion. I, I, I'm, I'm passionate about the theatre, and, and I'm passionate about musical theatre in particular. And 
And like many musical theatre fans, you become obsessed with particular people and personalities yeah. and composers. Um, so uh, I already said Audrey is, is high on the, the list. Barbara Cook is another singer that many of them, they, they will all get to know in time. Unfortunately, she died last year, so uh, no, nobody will see her live again. But, mm. but she, So yeah, so to, to teaching is a huge part of my life now. And it's, yeah. it's Part of it is passing the message on. And um, it's kind of what, what theatre critics do. We, we, pr we provide a living record of the theatre. Uh, and and that, that's what I think um, uh, teaching can do too. Yes. Yeah, so, so staying on the drama school thing. I mean, obviously, you know, unfortunately during this, you know, during this time, a lot of graduates have just left drama school or university and, and didn't get their showcase. They didn't get, you know, they didn't get the, you know, what, what I suppose what you go to drama school for, apart from the training, you want that showcase at the end to go get your agent and launch you into the industry. And a lot of a lot of people haven't done that. I know Aura have just um, actually, I think Aura have just organised a showcase actually for their for their students somewhere. But uh, for people who are, who have perhaps gone uh, come out of drama school the other side, didn't get their showcase, a lot of disappointment for a lot of graduates. Paid a lot of money, didn't get that agent showcase, which is the be all and end all to some people. What would your advice be to them at this time, I guess, in, for, and well, to keep themselves going? I mean, obviously, I think they fear that they may be the forgotten generation. Um, I don't think they will be forgotten. I think everybody knows that what's happened this year. Um, I mean, you know, look at what's happening with the Olivier Awards. Olivier Awards today was announced that they're finally going to be presented uh, in October. Mm. Um, but um, the, because otherwise, they, that year, they would, they, the nominations were announced and then they cancelled the awards because of yeah. Ahead. So this year's awards are somewhat, for, you know, could be forgotten, but, but I think that there is a recognition. Uh, the industry is doing everything it can to, to um, embrace those talents and help them. I mean, Arted were very lucky, um, partly because there's essentially one of the very last things I saw on the Monday, theatre lockdown started on Monday, the 15th of March. That was the night that Boris Johnson announced that the theatre had to be shut from. Um, and that day was the Arts Ed show showcase. Um, so actually I went to that showcase that day. Um, and, uh, and then that evening I was due to see, I went to, was gonna go and see City of Angels in the West End, which of course I had seen at the Domar Warehouse but hadn't seen in the West End. I knew a lockdown was coming and, uh, and the first night wasn't until the following week, the official press night. But over the weekend, the, the 13th, 14th, I sent uh, texts to Josie Rourke, who's the um, director of, of City of Angels, and Nika Burns, the producer, and asked them if I could come in early, if they'd let me in early on the Monday, um, because I was desperate to see it before, in case lockdown happened and in case, of course, I didn't think lockdown would be, I thought lockdown was gonna be six weeks, five, six yeah. weeks. Didn't realize it was going to be, you know, we'd be here in October, September, and it would still be locked down. But uh, they both agreed that I could come that night. I remember we, uh, that evening, I did the art set thing in the morning, and in the evening, um, I went to the theater, turned up at the theater, and it wasn't happening. It was devastating. Um, but what I'd also discovered that day was that, and this is the theater addict in me speaking, Southwark Playhouse had done the last five years, um, which had opened the week before. Um, and which is an amazing production of that brilliant Jason Oldman production uh, musical. Um, and I wanted to see it again because Molly Lynch, who played the, 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 the woman in that, that production, was just extraordinary. One of the great, greatest performances I've seen in, in a long time. Um, and I was dying to see her again. She, as it happens, went off ill after doing the first night. She was off the whole of the second week, pretty much. Um, and 
so, and on the Monday, I'm on my way to City of Angels and I get a text from this other playhouse saying, by the way, Molly's back and she's doing a performance tonight. And I said, well, I'm going to City of Angels, so I'll, I'll try to come tomorrow, maybe. Uh, when, when City of Angels wasn't happening, I, went, I rang up some other players and said, I'm coming, after all. I went to see the last performance of the last five years, because that was the last night they did it. So I saw Molly come back that night and, and then do her final performance. And of course, that show's about to reopen this week, in fact, at Southern Playhouse in a reconfigured auditorium. So it is coming back. Uh, so, and whatever you do, don't miss it. She's extraordinary. So the whole show is extraordinary. Um, of course, the future of theatre, I hope, isn't two-person shows, two-person musicals. That may, uh, for a while, may be the case. You know, um, the last five years were very popular. Um, it was done at Minac as well. Um, this, this summer, uh, Education Rita was done at Minac. Two-man shows are gonna be the sort of day of the, the thing to do. But you know, it is possible, it seems with this pandemic, other producers have been more creative. Sleepless in Seattle, the musical, at Wembley, which closed this yesterday, they managed to, to do, give us a brand new musical with a full cast, not socially distanced, but putting in lots of protections, both for audience and the cast, that enabled them to do it. Um, yeah. My own, my own regret is that the musical itself wasn't really worth all the effort, but, but actually, um, um, all kudos to them for doing it. Now that's the, thing, the difficult thing about my job, is that as much as you want to applaud the effort, um, and the, 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 the and I, I, genuinely, I genuinely want great things to happen. You have to call it like it is, unfortunately. If the show isn't great, I just don't think it serves anybody to say it is. Um, and, and so I was, I was very, muted and guarded in my response to the sleepless. Um, other critics kind of would just embrace it because they just wanted to live theatre to be back. But, but I'm, I'm very keenly aware that the responsibility of getting somebody to spend what could be 80, 90 pounds in the West End to see a show based on your recommendation. Um, you have to, you, I have a responsibility to them that, that their money is well spent. That isn't to say that my view is necessarily correct. I never say that critic, there's any such thing as right or wrong in, in criticism. But, um, you know, obviously people do, some people, not everybody, some people trust and respect me. Um, and, and then they, they, take, they make their choices based on that. I can't let them down. Yeah, um, um, yeah. so it's, it's an really important job to, 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 to do. And, and, I, and I feel there's a lot of, there's a lot of personal pressure on it. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, st staying on the subject of, of reviewing, I guess, and coming yeah. away from the sort of pandemic, um, just when, when you are reviewing the show, what are the biggest things that look out for? What are, I know there's probably not a straightforward way of answering it, but in your opinion, what is the best way for you to give like a five-star five star review? Everyone wants to know how to get that five-star review. In your opinion, what is the, the best way of doing it and the biggest things you look out for? There's no magic formula. There isn't. I mean, theatre is an elusive art, um, and uh, you can't. If everybody knew what the formula was, everybody would be Cameron Mackintosh producing hit shows. Yeah. But Cameron Mackintosh no longer knows the formula himself. He's lost that. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, the, the thing is that it, it is elusive. Um, it's an accident. It's a. It's chemical chemistry, um, and it's that little bit of magic that happens in the room, um, being in the room where it, ha where it happens. Um, you just don't know how it's going to, where lightning will strike. Um, and that's also what's so exciting about it too, because every night I go to the theatre, usually, in anticipation of the lightning's going to strike tonight. I, I go, I want it to strike every night I'm there. Um, and uh, mostly it doesn't, 
but every now and then it does. Um, and, and when it does, the, the joy and rapture that, that happens um, is just extraordinary. And this is why, you know, a show like Groundhog Day, again, I saw that 10 times in, in all, or I saw it three times in London, seven times on Broadway, to the point that we went, my husband and I went to the last matinee on the, sun, the Saturday, sorry, the, 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 the Saturday evening show, the Saturday evening performance. Um, the last night of the last, and we had one more performance on Sunday afternoon. We came out of the theatre and we said, we have to be at the last performance tomorrow. We changed our flights and stayed for the last performance. Um, we had to be at the last performance. We saw it a tenth time. Um, so, but you know, to get that, so, so what makes Groundhog Day a great musical? Not for, it won't be a great musical for everybody, but why it's a great musical for me, it's a very personal story magically directed. I mean, the direction and choreography were just stunning. Uh, the sets were extraordinary. The score, Tim Inchon's score, was beautiful. Um, it's just one of those shows where every, I mean, I, I think it's one of the masterpieces of the century so far. Um, I, you know, I, the, the we've, music, great musicals don't come along that often. I, I think we've had, I think the century, Next to Normal is a great musical. I think, um, uh, Matilda's uh, a great musical, um, and Groundhog Day. Those are those would be my three choices. Don't put Hamilton in there either. I'm not putting Hamilton in that that list. Actually, I, I love Hamilton. I love it, um, but I think it's way, way, way too ambitious. Um, for it tries to pack too much in. It's it's almost it's it's almost too good. It's almost too good to be true. Um, I recently watched it. I watched the Netflix version, obviously, um, and it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary piece of work, extraordinary. But um, it's so dense and so intense. I just don't. I, uh, I, I, in some ways, it's like it's like it's a bit like um, Phantom of the Opera. In in, in some ways, I, I, watching it, I'm always. I'm, I wonder how did this become such a hit? Because Phantom of the Opera is is. It's really, really, a, uh, it's lush and beautiful, and that's probably why it's a hit. But, but if you look at watching it now, I, which I, I do think it's an extraordinary musical, but it's almost too good to be popular. Mm, I yeah. sort of, now that's maybe me being snobbish. Maybe I'm just being a snob. But <laughs> uh, I, I do think Hamilton is, Hamilton's extraordinary, but it's not, it's, not a, it's not a show I listen to again and again and again. Yeah. I, I can sit and play Roundhog Day all the time. No, that's, that's fair enough. And then with the reviews, I think there's been a bit of um, there's been a bit of a discussion over the past few years about reviews and and st especially starred reviews. And there's been a bit of a talk about maybe even getting rid of stars altogether. And there's been a lot of pressure on that. What's your, it's definitely split opinion. What's your opinion on the on sort of the, yeah. the five star ratings and the you know star all ratings. That sort of stuff? The star rating thing creates a, a, a sense of competition and, and a sense of, it, 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 it's so unhelpful. It really is an unhelpful way of metric for, for judging things because it's very black and white um, um, and it doesn't allow for nuance. Um, I mean, most shows, to be honest, most shows are three stars. They are. Most shows are average. Um, um, in fact, probably most shows, more shows are two stars than three stars. Um, and yeah, it, it doesn't really reflect what a show is really like. And people are, people are lazy, they don't read the, the people, you know, actually, and it's not just, not just readers, it's critics too. When, you, when, when critics meet, when you meet the next day, and you talk about, if you haven't seen each other's reviews, the first thing you say to each other is, how many stars did you give it? 
so everything's reduced to the star rating. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, as a reader, I'm sure you find, do you, you read a few, you see a five star review, you may, you'll read a five star review and you'll read a one star review. Do you bother to even read the two and three star reviews? Especially the three stars. The three stars ones, nobody even bothers to read because the, the three star, it's sort of a shrug, it's indifference, and they don't bother to read them anymore. Mm. So I think that's a problem, but I think it's also become part of the culture that yeah. everybody wants a shorthand. It's, it's, uh, it's for the posters, isn't it? It's for the posters. The post so here's the thing. People moan about them, but they put them on the posters. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing about the posters thing. I mean, that, that is another thing, um, which, which, again, which comes to the, the, the talking about the critics and, 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 and publications and names. Now, as, a tr as it happens, and this has happened to me more than once, I mean, probably, I'd say now four or five times, you walk past West End theatres and you'll see um, Michael Billington, The Guardian, four stars, or you'll see to The Times, four stars. Um, what I've managed to get quite a few times now, which is, what, which is kind of what I'm also hoping that will be when we come back, if and when we come back, I'm going to try, I've changed my practice because I've now not got a publication at the moment. Um, but this happened before this. I found people were using, were, set, were putting on my, the poster, Mark Shenton, four stars. Yeah. Went, they weren't putting 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 uh, my publication on at all, um, and in some ways that's encouraging to me because it means that um, uh, as as a critic I probably I may survive the current crisis. Mm, definitely, definitely. And then um, I suppose that's, that leads me on to the next question about marketing. I guess now obviously you're the co-founder of my theatre mates as well, aren't you? Um, which does a lot of incredible work and you know offers great PR and marketing th for shows and things like that. Now. <sighs> maybe not so much the West End, but I suppose the fringe market, it's such a saturated market and to try and stand out is very hard, I think. And that's why I think the, the, the star rating is there. It tries to make you stand out. But what do you think in terms of marketing a show makes, makes it stand out? Star ratings aside, what makes it, what, how do you make a show stand out in, a, in, you know, using that really? It's really, really hard. And this is where, which is where the whole change in critical landscape has, has massively um, uh, uh, changed because the national newspapers basically do not cover the bulk of the fringe. I mean, mm. very, you know, the Guardian will occasionally review a show at a smaller theatre. Uh, I'm just talking about, obviously, the, the national press do go to the Hampstead, they go to the Almeida, they go to the Donmar. Those are kind of West, off West Endy theatres. Mm. No, nobody from the national press goes to, um, uh, nobody much from the national newspapers goes to, um, say, uh, I can't think of the fringe theatre now, but um, you know, there are th all those, the, the pub theatres say, the King's yeah. Head hardly ever gets a national critic in. Yeah, unless they can link it in with a story. Because I, I, did, I did a show on um, called Netflix and Chill, which was on at... Um, which was on in one of the pub theatres, and because they could link it into male mental health, because there was a story that came out about male suicide and the rates, they had the Daily Express come down to review it um, because they could yeah. link it into a story. So I suppose unless they can link it, in. And also, but also the other thing is that you have to talk about the individual critics' own choices on those things. I, mean, I happen to know that you know, would, it, would it be Neil, uh, and it was a Neil from the Daily Express. He 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 has he has his own um, Neil Norman. He has his own. Um, Patch. He yeah. can decide what to review. When I was on the Sunday Express, I very often reviewed um, uh, 
fringe shows in my column because I could just choose whatever I wanted to review. Yes. So very much led by the critic. The critic can decide what they want to go and see and include in their column. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, you know, once you've, see, once you've handled, handled the four or five big West End openings a week, so you've handled the National, the, the, the RSC, the, the West End, and the Almeida, say, that's your word count gone. So people, critics don't have the time or the bandwidth in terms of time in evenings to go to the, the fringe. And I, to be honest, I don't go to the fringe much. Um, so, and that's a failing. And, I, and one of the things I hope to do in my new life is I will start to go to the fringe more. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, you say, uh, you mentioned my theatre mates. I founded, co-founded that with Terry Pallet. She basically has taken it over. She, she runs it almost ex- yes. I'm not involved at all. Um, but yes, it was an attempt to to provide a platform for different critical voices um, because in one place. So it's a sort of herding mechanism to, to give, um, because individual bloggers are kind of hard to find. Mm. You can find them on, on, obviously you can find them by, by Google searches, but my theatre mates was a way of consolidating all those voices into one place. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that did happen, uh, which, you know, it's in, 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 inevitable, is that um, some of those bloggers um, decided that we were getting rich off, their, off the proceeds of, of their labours uh, and decided that we were the big bad wolves um, and uh, corporate media strikes again, which was far from the intention. The intention was to, to provide bloggers with a, a access to, to get to market, to get to readership, to get to eye, eyeballs. Um, and, and that's when I kind of pulled out because I thought if, if that's the way we're being, the contempt we're being regarded with, then I, I don't want to be any part of that. Um, I, you know, what, what turned out as a, as a well-meaning gesture was being thrown back in our faces. Um, and, um, and that's very, I felt incredibly hurt and, and, and um, disturbed by that. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, I do think that, that, you know, nowadays you go to most, most fringe press nights are the 15 bloggers or, or independent websites that, that the press agents can, can corral, corral there. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I think that's great. I think it's fantastic that there, at least there's an alternative. If the nationals aren't covering this territory, at least somebody else is. Yeah. But the trouble with, 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 this ter- with, with it is, is that a lot of those critics aren't validated. And now the great thing about my theatre mates is it was a validation process. It was a way of saying that these guys are, you know, authentic critics. Um, um, now, it used to be that the way you would decide whether a critic was authentic or not was whether they were being paid. I don't think that's the case anymore. Nowadays, um, uh, I mean, I, mean I, th- I, do think, I do think that uh, it's important. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting notifications. That was a, a bleep part of it. I don't know how to stop those. Um, um, it, it, it does now hap- happen that, that, that I, I, were, I, mean, I took a stand a few, a few years ago that I would no longer review shows where actors were not being paid. Yeah. I took a very powerful stand because I thought if I don't do that, who will? Um, and yes, on the one hand, as, a, as one actor challenged me, he said, she said, that you're penalizing the actors twice now because on the one hand, they're not getting paid, but they're also not getting reviewed. So they're getting nothing from the experience. And I said, but how will the system ever change if you don't, if you don't change it from the top? If you don't say, I'm not going to review this stuff anymore, I'm not going to cover it anymore. So now I still, to this day, if I'm going to review something, I will ask, are you paying? And my, my, my criteria is equity, um, fringe minimum, or, or, or equivalent. Um, so it doesn't have to be under, under an equity fringe agreement, but it needs to be the equivalent of. And what the way I'll do that, I'll check with the producer, I'll check with the director, and 
if I think that, that I'm being lied to, which does happen, um, I will check with a member of the cast. Um, because I know enough people in the business now to, to just send a, 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 an email or a Facebook um, message to somebody in the cast. Uh, so, so I'll only go and see shows if they are being paid for. Now, by the same token, you could say, and this is something I did say at one point, I said, and I also won't read reviews if the critics are not being paid. So, um, and that's one of the things I've always stood by is my own professionalism, is that I think, you know, we are professionals, you're a professional actor, you deserve to be paid. I'm a professional critic, I deserve to be paid. Um, if you're writing for your own website, that's different, because obviously you're doing it on your own steam. Um, and that's, uh, uh, you know, you're being... You're not being paid, but you're not, you're not, somebody's not making money off your labors. Um, so I think that my, 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 my criteria will change. And that, and by the same token, you know, somebody who puts actors who collect a group endeavor, a group of actors who put a show on um, and aren't paid to do it, as long as nobody's being paid, nobody, mm. um, that's, that's, that's different. It's a joint endeavor. No, if it, I, I think the, the, the term I use is in a non-hierarchical structure. So, um, again, I read that. I read that article. That, that was on the stage, wasn't it? I read that article, and um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a strong stance to take. And I, I think you're right. I, I suppose if you don't change it from the top, how are you going to change it? I guess. And it's, I mean, it's always been a battle in the, you know, the fringe world, and you know, it's a hard battle between people, emerging artists trying to put on work, and also emerging artists trying to get paid for their work. It's, it's an absolute minefield, definitely is. Um, just going back to reviewing and, and anyone who i mean it's a, i think i think review reviewing now is is a very oversaturated market you just can get anyone reviewing you now and any old blog um and things like that and it's um rightly or wrongly i don't know but if anyone is wanting to get into theater theater blogging and, and being you know arts journalism what would be your sort of top three tips for anyone wanting to get into the industry it's not dissimilar to what i tell actors which is that don't do it unless you have to um, it, this is not. This is not. This is not a game for for um, uh, for, for people who aren't committed to it. It's such a struggle to. Well, it's it, for certainly now. I would say it's pretty much impossible to make a living from arts journalism. Mm. You have to combine it with something else, even at even at the top levels. Um, you know, so you'll somebody like, and I, I know some journalists are just greedy, maybe, but a, a lot of um, uh, there are very few staff jobs now left in theatre criticism um so you know you're back to pre-internet days of there were only there used to be only be 12 jobs now there's probably five jobs that and you have to wait for those people to die probably uh, or, or whether they'll actually ever you know be or whether they'll be replaced they may die and not be replaced yeah. and remember the rates for reviews are extraordinarily low um professionally professional critics are paid uh, very very little money mm. uh, so there's there is there isn't an income anymore. Luckily, you know, I've got. I suppose I, I don't think I think of myself as that old, but I'm I'm lucky because I I started early and I established myself early. So I made my I you know I I've, I've paid off my mortgage now. I've um, uh, my living expenses aren't that great. I'm married to a man who earns a living. Um, we don't spend a lot of money. Gold digger. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, and uh, and also, you know, he's, he's he's younger than me, so I'm also a, a cradle snatcher too. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, no, we have we have actually, to be honest, I mean, and this is the thing, I'm very grateful. I have a great life. Um, depression aside, I do have a great life. Um, I I'm really really lucky. I do what I want to do. 
Um, and I mean, I did recently in the pandemic, I also applied for a job in the NHS. I thought, you know what, if, if this doesn't come back, I need to do something useful with my life. I can't sit around doing nothing. I thought if I actually go and work at the NHS, that might be a useful thing to do. Um, um, I, uh, I haven't heard back. I had an interview, but I haven't heard back. So probably didn't get it, but who knows? Maybe, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm strangely over, overqualified in some ways for, for what I was applying for. Um, but, um, but you know, I, I love it. I, would look, I, I, I see the other day, I saw uh, a, a quite a well-known actor who I know pretty well, who um, was put on Facebook that he's going for his first job as a delivery driver for Ocado. Um, and I thought, good on you. You know, you, you've worked in the West End, you've worked, you know, you're married to somebody who's a multi, uh, several times uh, Olivier Award winner, and you're going to work in a Ocado. So, you know. Yeah, who was it? Is it Ray, Ray Winston? The one who, he's working for, um, who is it? There's another delivery company, him. Who, Jason, Manfred. Jason Manford went off to work for a delivery I know, company. he did Iceland, didn't he? He did that. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but people are going off and doing other other jobs. I mean, you know, so that is, but the reality of, of now the life as a theatre critic is that you probably have to do other jobs. Yeah. So to get back to your question, in order to, to sustain yourselves, you would have to do another job. One of the things I do is I get paid a little bit by Arts Ed to teach. I'm, I'm going to hopefully yeah. uh, do some more teaching because um, um, I do love that. It's one of my favourite things in the world. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but, you know, the bottom line is I've learned an awful lot during during lockdown. Um, one is that, you know, I need to change my, I've changed my priorities in life. I'm now a different person. I'm now hopefully, hopefully, cross fingers, my back is now finally fixed after many, many years of, of agony. Um, and to, walk, to be able to walk pain-free is going to be a big change in my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have never seen me pain-free um, because, you know, I... I in your lifetime, I have never been pain free. So um, this is, you know, it's a big step in my life. Um, yeah, definitely. And well, and all the best to you, I think. And it's, it's, I think we've just got to try and take the positives out of this pandemic. And I think that's all you can do with it. Because if you don't, if you don't do that, then it's just a, a slippery slope, I think. Um, exactly. And you just got to try and take the, the most you can out of it, I guess. Um, I'm really wary of time. So one last question for you, Mark, before we, before we shoot off. Now you've interviewed some, you know, powerhouses in the industry to say the least you know judy dench and all that sort of stuff who would you think would be who's your favorite person that you've interviewed um sort of so far and why well yeah i do one of the things i do as an arts journalist so not just doing reviews but i also my big big plank of my my career has been doing profiles with people um and and i do love it i love getting under the skin of of, of people's lives and careers um and um yeah, I've, I've interviewed lots of amazing people. I've very, been very lucky. I mean, people who I revere. Uh, there's, there's always something slightly terrifying about interviewing people you revere. I mean, for example, I did Stephen Sondheim uh, on the stage of the National Theatre, at the Olivier Theatre in 2004 when he came over for funny thing happened on the way to the forum and to interview him in front of 1100 people was pretty damn scary and you know he's a god um so that's a pretty that's a landmark one um judy dench you mentioned i did that for the theatrical guild we did we did a charity fundraiser interview um and uh, uh, it was a season that i did call these are a few of my favorite songs um, um and uh, what we did is we asked the, the interviewee to choose their favorite songs and then we got some artists to sing those songs. Um, for Judy Dench's um, uh, one, we actually got some art ed people from my, from my class that year to, to, do, to, do, to do the songs. Um, and, uh, 
uh, yeah, she was amazing. Um, I've actually become, in the last few months, very, very close to her daughter, Finty. Um, and that emerged from social media and from, um, from well, she lives locally, she lives down the road from me, so, I, you know, for tea and things. Um, and we've become really, really close. Um, and that's been partly on the shared, shared uh, experience of depression. Mm. Um, to bring the circle, full circle. Um, but the one I wanted to, to, to say, the, the, and it doesn't happen very often, in this business, we, you know, we, we, we are on one side of the fence, and you guys are on the other, actors on the other side of the fence. And obviously, one hopes there's mutual respect and appreciation between each other. Um, so I don't expect to ever be friends with actors. I'm friendly with actors, but never friends. Um, I, I think, and I'd say never friends, you don't expect to become friends with people you interview, especially people you idolize. And one of the, the most powerful um, things that has happened in my life, truly most powerful things that have happened in my life, was I interviewed this man a few times, a couple of times, and during the interviews, we, we interviewed face-to-face, -face and we, just, you know, we really got on, we really got on. But there's getting on and there's getting on, and, 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 uh, and the person is Philip Cost, who's a, a, a three times Olivier Award winner, uh, who now lives back home in Australia, but he, um, um, he lived in London for 20 years, he raised his family here. Um, in fact, I interviewed him first when I was a cub reporter all those years ago. He did Sunday in the Park of George at the National in 1990. So that's, what, 30 years ago now. And I interviewed him then. Um, when, and then I interviewed him when he did Evita. And I interviewed him another time. I think it was another show. Like, several times. It just happens. These actors come up again and again. Um, what subsequently happened, and it's just an amazing bit of chemistry, is we started to email each other. Um, uh, he asked if you could email me. And during the course of the emails, we discovered, again, a shared experience that we were both, we both suffered depression. Mm. Um, and he has, I, I, without, without over, overdosing this, he has become one of my closest friends in the world. Um, you know, we, he rang me on my birthday a few, couple of weeks ago. He, um, we message, we text, we, Obviously, he's in Australia, but so we, I don't know, my husband and I haven't been to Australia for a little while now, but we actually made two trips to see him um, uh, when he was doing Mary Poppins. So that was 2013 or 12 or 13, I think it was. Um, and uh, we, so we stayed with him on one of the trips in, in his hotel in Melbourne. Uh, he's Diggs, rather, Diggs in Melbourne, because he lives in Sydney, but he was they were performing in Melbourne at the time. And so we stayed with him for a week there. Um, and... Um, and then uh, subsequently we went back when he was in Sydney and we've stayed, we've, we've, uh, stayed with him there. Um, that's the sort of, that, that's, that for me is the greatest. Because yeah. you made a friendship out of it. A, a true and important friendship. One, one that, that, that really means and matters an awful lot to me. Good. I, I think that's a good place to end, Mark. And that's a really lovely, really lovely place to end, actually. Um, and thank you so much for being so open and, um, not just about being a theatre critic, but you know about your own mental health and uh, mental health and the arts, which I think needs to be covered more, and more people need to be open about it. Um, and I think it's a really uh, dis discussion that needs to happen um, industry wide, rather than just these little pockets of the industry that's happening. Um, so yeah, but thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, as well. Um, please join us on Wednesday. I have got Isabel Gohan, um, who is a um, literary agent at Curtis Brown and a lot of writers in our support network have wanted 
um, questions on to ask questions about a literary agent and all that sort of stuff. So we have got one uh, on Wednesday. So please join us for that. Um, and apart from that, please give us a shout out on social media as well. Uh, we're doing these for free um, because we want to try and help you guys during this tough time. That's why I'm doing this. I'm not getting anything out of it. Uh, apart from speaking to wonderful people like Mark and just having a nice little chat and a chinwag. Um, it's the only way we can connect to the industry at the moment sometimes. Um, but thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, honestly. If, if, what I would also just add is that if anybody wants to connect with me, um, send me a message on Twitter um, and uh, I, I'm happy to carry on any conversations people would like to do on Twitter. Uh, we can, I can follow you back and then we don't have to do, uh, don't do them publicly. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's, the, that's the best route to get to me is via Twitter. Yeah. Um, and just to say, Brandon, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, uh, <laughs> so good stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so um, lovely, to, lovely, lovely to spend the evening with you guys. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a lovely evening and take care. Thank you so much, Mark. Take care, mate. Bye. Um,